0: Alright, yeah, it is a good morning. It's great to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, good morning. My name is Justin Sullivan. I want to welcome you to Calvary Chapel if this is your first time, uh, especially if you're joining us on the line, on the line, or on the, on the web. Um, hey, I'm new at this. Stop it. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm not the pastor, okay? You should know that. Um, I'm just a guy who's been sitting where you have been for over 15 years, and I've been getting some great teaching from the Word of God from Pastor Jeff and Pastor Russ. Yeah. Give it up, man. Uh, Calvary Chapel is known for the teaching of truth, and in fact, that's my favorite distinctive about this church. It's why I've come for over 15 years. It's the unapologetic, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse study of the Word of God, which is why if you don't have a Bible in your hands, Dave's been waiting so patiently, We'd like to get one into it right now. So get your Bibles. Everybody's got your Bible. We've got a great, I've got a great appetizer. I've got a great appetizer. The Lord has a great appetizer for you this morning, and you're going to find the book of Psalms chapter 138. And we're going to do something together. We're going to read Psalm 138 verse 2 together, because the Word of God is exalted in this place. Amen. How many of you know that God esteems his word more than his name? All right. Psalm 138, verse 2. Let's read it together, out loud. You guys with me. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. Hallelujah. Okay, yeah, we see David praising God for God's loving kindness and his truth. And I think... What a great litmus test that you should have when you walk into a church. You should find God, you come expecting God's loving kindness, and you expect His truth. Um, But um, that's what I think you'll find here at Calvary Chapel of Joplin, right? God's loving kindness and His truth. And God's name is to be honored. We understand that, like, taking the Lord's name in vain, that's a sin, right? Uh, But there is an unpardonable sin, right? Right? There's the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, that is a sin that is not forgiven. Um, that's the one that will keep you out of, of heaven. And uh, that's the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit isn't taking the name of the Lord in vain. No, that's um, denying what the Holy Spirit says about Jesus to be true. Because not believing Jesus is who he says he is will keep you dead in your sins and, and out of heaven forever. And Jesus is key, right? You have magnified your word above your name. Remember how the Gospel of John goes? Um, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. For you have magnified your word above your name. And we love the word of God here at Calvary Chapel Joplin. Amen? Amen? Because it is all about Jesus. I mean, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? And this platform, this, this uh, position of teaching is a tremendous responsibility, and I feel that. So picture, if you will, when Pastor Jeff comes to you or when he came to me and he asked me, how would you like to stand in and teach for me? And I think, yeah, I think my reply was something like, well, I'm not comfortable. And uh, as I heard those words come out of my mouth, in my head, in my mind, I heard something to the extent of like, well, boy, do you think Jesus was comfortable on the cross? Or was Daniel comfortable in the lion's Then, And to be sure, Jeff didn't say these words to me. I was, I was thinking them. I've heard these words before from someone who was trying to use them to motivate somebody to get out of their comfort lane. So before I could say no, I accepted this challenge. You see, my Monday through Friday job, I'm a, I'm, I work in PT, and that's physical therapy, but to some it's called pain and torture. Um, <laughs> And that's right. I do torture people for a living, and it seems that the Lord seemed fit that I would have one more day this week to do that. So, (laughs) sorry about your pain, but it's not about our comforts, is it, right? So, our pains, adversities, our trials, and hardships can be used for our good, and these usually drive us to our loving Creator. But, oh man, do we love our comforts. So, it is with selfish reasons, like that I'm standing here and deciding to go through with this today because I want to be used by God. And so you're going to have to really believe that God can use anybody, okay? So let's pray. Oh, God, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word today. And I pray that you would anoint me to teach your word. And I want you to cancel the fallible man so that anything that I say that is, not, that is, that is contrary to your truth May it not take any root, but speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit and exalt your word in this study. May Jesus be glorified, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Calvary Chapel Joplin hosted the Build Back Biblical Conference. And uh, raise your hand if you were able to attend that. That's quite a lot of hands, right? Um, This was uh, a conference that... Uh, Was put on by the Turning Points Organization, which is a political one, Um, and they seem to feel the they they seem to think that we the church needs to be more involved um, in the political sphere, right? Um, And I attended this conference, um, and it spoke to me, right? That it kind of reminded us that attended this conference that freedom and liberty were really God's ideas. And I had heard all this before about how America was a Christian nation and that the founding fathers uh, were really a God-fearing bunch. Um, That the ideas that formed the Constitution were really birthed from biblical truths. And there was a lot of prayer that went into uh, the penning of the Constitution. But this time, I think it really sank in for me that, that America did start as a Christian nation. And it was brought to my attention during this conference, that daily Bible reading has gone down. It's estimated that only 9% read the Bible on a daily basis. Um, And also that only 6% hold to a biblical worldview. Now, there are only two choices when establishing morality. There is what I say is right, okay? And then there's what God says is right. And there's two types of people. There are those who fear God and those who don't. And I think you all can see uh, how all of this is playing out today in our culture, right? Most people are seemingly doing what is right in their own eyes. And that is a formula for wickedness. Today, I would like us to compare our biblical worldview. Us, Maybe you guys represent the six percenters. I know uh, if you've been attending Calvary Chapel for a long time, you do hold to a biblical worldview And you represent those who want to do what God says is right. You want, I mean, you fear God, right? And then we're going to compare our view to, let's say, the secular humanist view, which is they have no fear of God. Uh, They don't believe that they need God to be moral. And they're a group um, that is just doing what is right in their own eyes. So really, two two types of, two groups of people, if you will. The God has said group, that's, that's us. And the did God say, people? And this did God say movement is nothing new, right? It's been going on since, uh, since the book of Genesis, when Satan himself um, clouding the truth, speaking lies to to or half truths to Eve, questioning her and asking, "Has God indeed said, 'You shall not eat of every tree of the garden'?" And this is Satan's playbook all along, and it hasn't really changed to this date. I mean, his native tongue is lies and deceit. He's still wanting to become God, and his game is full of deception and error, and it totally lacks humility. It's full of pride. Have you guys seen anything like that going on in culture today? Exactly. See, look, if you're not seeking the truth, you can fall prey to this as well. You can be made numb in the surrounding lies and drowning in the fake news and the false narratives that are out there and and live amongst the cultural norms. We've got to wake up, and we've got to wake others up, Christian. We're going to take a look at four basic philosophical questions and see how each worldview stacks up uh, against each other. These philosophical questions are origin, pertaining to origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Um, these are meaningful human heart questions or questions of the human heart, which we're all trying to find answers to. You know, how do I know? I mean, where did I come from? You know, what am I here for? What's my purpose? Um, How do I tell what's right and what's wrong? And what happens after this? I mean, what happens when I die? And us Bible-believing, biblical worldview people hold to uh, this that God's word is infallible. And this is known as the the Doctrine of um, Biblical Inerrancy, which states that the Bible is without error, without fault in all its teachings, or at least that the Scripture in its original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. See, we believe that the Bible is a special book. It includes 66 books, actually, from over 40 separate human instruments that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen one fascinating love letter to all of humanity from their Creator. And there's been no other book like it in human history that has been scrutinized so much as the Bible has. It's almost as if the forces of darkness recognize that, um, that they can't stand it. Uh, it they almost recognize that it's, that it's powerful. And remember, our Constitution and uh, this country was birthed out of biblical ideas and truths, and our government was formed for the purpose of protecting life and liberty. But Satan loves twisting and concealing the truth, for he comes to steal steal, kill, and destroy. And it feels like his time is getting shorter because apparently he's not, I mean, he's not even really trying to conceal the truth anymore. It's like the, the lies and the errors are just, I mean, they're just obvious. Am I crazy or not? Okay. We're going to turn into our Bibles now in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is where we're going to be spending the bulk of our time. So go ahead and make your way to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm not going to make, it, make you read it. <clears throat> My New King James Version title of this chapter is called Perilous Times and Perilous Men. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Wow, that's, um, that's one long, run-on sentence right there, followed by an abbreviated one. And I want you to guys sometimes try to do that with the one breath. Um, but, uh, and from such people turn away. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power. That pretty much sums up the other group, right? Uh, the secular humanists. And from such people we should turn away. Let's get into these questions of the human heart, starting with the, with the question of origins. Where did, where did we come from? How did things come into being? Well, from their point of view, in the beginning, nothing. Okay? Nothing created and fine-tuned, orchestrated and ordered everything. But even the Greek philosophers saw that there had to be a mind behind the universe because of everything that they saw... This mind, however, they believed was just an impersonal force. Um, they called it the Logas, um, L O G A S. And it's where we get the word logic because it's logical to conclude that nothing can do nothing. So there must have been something. And John, in the Gospel of John, we read it earlier, um, picked up on this concept when he wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And biblically, you guys know what the Word is in Greek. It's the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. The Word is a personal mind. I'm sorry, infinitely more personal. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. His name is Jesus. In Colossians 1, verse 15 through 17 through whom all things consist of. You see, Christians, we know the who that created all things. Their argument goes like this. We don't have to know the who because we figured out the how. Really, really, nothing made everything. That's not a how, gang. You and I have more creative power than nothing. I mean, everything that has a beginning needs a cause. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe must have had a cause. I mean, if you break the word universe down for a second, uni, which means one, verse, can mean spoken word. You put them together, one spoken word, the word universe, sounds a lot like what we read in the beginning, in Genesis, when God said, let there be. Their view of origins, nature just caused itself. Um, nope. Nope. There's no known natural explanation for the, for, some, for the universe to come out of nothing. Creation, therefore, must be a supernatural event because God is infinitely more than the sum of everything from the greatest to the smallest. And the secular humanist wants you to believe that life came from non-life. I mean, this is the assumption of evolution, that life came into existence from nothing. From the goo to the zoo to you, <laughs> this is an unproven assumption. I mean, think about it, guys. If, if a frog turns into a prince, we call that a fairy tale. But if a scientist says it, they call it a theory and good science. No. No, it's not. It's still a fairy tale, but it takes much longer to tell, and it's incredibly boring. It's not scientific at all. It's just pure scientism. Nothing more than science fiction. So if evolution is a failure, then why keep promoting it? Well, the fool has said in his heart, no God. And how do you make fools look smart? Well, you give them a lot of money and a platform, say a university or public schools, to promote the lies often enough so that people start to believe them. It's it's really sad. That this, that this scientism religion of evolution is being taught in public schools, which diminishes the value of kids and causing them to believe that they are nothing more than advanced primates or mere molecules in motion. Indeed, children need to be reminded of their incredible value that God places on humanity. I mean, we've been given a special order in the creative story. Of Genesis, when he says, Let God or let us make man in our likeness. And if that is the case, right, if we're made in God's image, then we need to be seeking the meaning of this. So the next philosophical question: meaning. Why am I here? What's what's my purpose? Well, Christians, you understand that that humans were created in the image of God for his good pleasure, to glorify him, to be lovers of God. From the secular humanist worldview, it's all about whatever makes you feel happy. You know, live your truth. They're lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. As we read in Second Timothy chapter 3, from such people we need to turn away. So let's get back into Second Timothy. Verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away with various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Let me go ahead and stop there. Because we've seen that denying the who leads to the wrong conclusion in the origin story. Now we see further resistance from the truth by those who are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That sounds a lot like some university professors. I mean, they argue that mankind determines truth. They don't need God, they think. Truth is more of a matter of opinion. That is, um, that's some shifting sands right there. It's nothing more than plain old idolatry, really mankind playing God. And men who think that they are God lead to tyranny. Just think about that. I mean, Paul points Timothy's attention to these two guys in history. I had to look them up, Janice and Jambres. They were part of the resistance of the truth, working under Pharaoh at the time when Moses was trying to deliver the word of the Lord to this government, saying, let my people go. You see, freedom is God's idea, not man's. And the greater the government, the less the freedom. And these last days, there are going to be men with corrupt minds creeping into households and making more captives, paralyzing and deception and blinding them with their own lusts. You say, well, how could that happen? I mean, it used to be we only had the TV, right, to influence people in our living rooms. But what about these things? Huh? Huh? I mean, how much, are, how much time are we spending on them? Humanity deserves the truth. They need Jesus. And while we still have breath in our lungs, we're, to, we're here to destroy the works of the evil one, right? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6.12. There is no higher calling or meaning, if you will, than to live for King Jesus. He is a personal and loving king. And we can trust that whatever happens to us is going to be for our good, our eternal good, and his eternal glory. The king is on the move, and he's given us marching orders. May his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So meaning and purpose will flow out of the who you love, either lovers of God or lovers of self. So then establishing what is right and wrong is easy, right? So the question of morality: For the humanist, you just live your truth, man. Um, mankind determines what's right and wrong. There's no need for God to be moral. But for us, six percenters, those who hold to a biblical worldview. We know the moral lawgiver who is unchanging in his standards of what is right and what is wrong. And without God, man is his own standard. He's basically good, and anything that's wrong isn't really his fault. For them, it's all about the consensus. Where have we heard that word before? Well, if that's the case, then you can't condemn Hitler for anything that he's ever done because at the time he was just following the scientific consensus that there were inferior races. He was just trying to make the world a better place by following the evolutionary science. You see, the moral relativists, they love to condemn the sins of the past, but they can't even live up to their own standards. So they change them. They just move the goalpost all the time, and that's because they're trusting their thinking abilities in non-rational matter. There's no reason to trust anything if nothing is the standard. And if they, and if we're just molecules in motion, then we're just predestined to uh, or predetermined to obey the laws of physics. We should just close the prisons then because it's not their fault at all. They're just obeying the natural laws. No, the Christian understands that we're created in the image of a rational God who is the moral lawgiver, the standard uh, who does not change forever. I mean, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God gives us free will, but he expects us to use our free moral agency to do what is right, reflecting God's nature about what he has said is right. In a world without God, there are no human rights. Look, it's no coincidence that when prayer was taken out of schools in 1962, 63, that 10 years later, babies were being killed. And in 1980... The Supreme Court ruled that the posting of the Ten Commandments on the walls of public schools violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment because apparently the display of these were essentially religious. I mean, what's been the fruit of that decision, you think? I mean, I'm 49 years old, and I've lived through the the consequences of this deconstruction of the moral laws. And the left says that we have a gun problem. No. Guys, we have a heart problem in this nation. There's no more fear of God being taught to our children because they believe that God doesn't exist. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Let me tell you, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And their consequences are their actions... Um, will be will be just. In Hebrews ten thirty says, "For we know him who said, 'Vengeance is mine; I will repay.' Says the Lord." And again, the Lord will judge his people. Oh, is that is that a little too offensive for the humanist? Perhaps. Well, they would say, well, "When has God ever stepped into humanity to judge anything that humans have ever done?" Hmm. Let me see. Oh, yeah, there was this thing called the, the flood, the global catastrophe known as, you know, well, how did we forget that? Well, maybe the forces of darkness are suppressing this truth and unrighteousness. I mean, let's see if you've ever heard this little deception. It goes like this. Once upon a time, long, long ago, in a world of billions of years old, an asteroid wiped out the dinosaurs. Fact. Don't question it. It's science. Stop. Stop. That's not science, that's scientism. Okay, guys, you don't have to be feeling inferior to someone who claims that it's science has explained what happened to the dinosaurs. Remember, they believe that nothing created everything. Besides, science, here's a, here's a newsflash for some of you, science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. And scientists come with their own bag of biases. And depending on what those are, they generally will tow the party lines, especially when it's when it comes to money and uh, just to be accepted and they 'll mock others who hold to a biblical worldview, like you guys. I mean you guys are so stupid i mean there 's never been a global flood. All right, keep your finger on Second Timothy and turn over to Second Peter chapter three. Be patient because we only got one more philosophical question to look at, but I think you'll get this point. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget... That by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You see, God is the judge, not man. And God has judged the world before. There are billions of dead things buried in rock layers all over the earth as evidence. Because every thought of man was continually wicked. And oh yeah, God will judge the world again. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. But it's not going to be with water this time, is it? We We have a promise that God won't do it that way. But did you see it? Reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So I suppose there's your global warming. <laughs> it's just going to be a lot worse than they predicted. <laughs> so that brings us to the conclusion or destiny question, if you will. The, the question of what will happen when I die. And from their point of view, you're just going to be warm food. Okay, there's nothing that awaits you. But us six percenters, we've just seen what the future holds for this planet. There's going to be real judgment. We believe in justice. We believe in heaven. We believe in hell. You see, you either embrace God's word or you're going to fall for a mythology or a fairy tale created by man. And I say, let God be true and every man a liar. You see, God will judge the world again. There will be justice, followed by an everlasting peace with Jesus on the throne, a new kind of government with truth and righteousness reigning forever and ever. Amen. So the disciples, they were curious about when this is going to take place, and they asked them, tell us, uh, when will these things be, right? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? And Jesus' response is one question, Um, well, Jesus' response to that one question will be yours and mine take home for today. When Jesus answered them, he said, take heed that no one deceives you, okay? Deception is the only game in town for the devil and his minions, so we better be wise to it. Now more than ever, we've been engaged in this battle between truths and lies. So let's finish chapter 3 of 2 Timothy with this final little heads up uh, from Paul to Timothy, verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance... Persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How's that an invitation to come to church today? I don't, I mean, I think we should actually try this with our unbelieving friends. I mean, seriously, because I think people understand that there are lines, clear lines that are being drawn in this world today. And if you're a Christian, you're stuck in it now. Our job is exposing the lies with the truth. And it's time the church got back into the fight so that the darkness can't stand. I mean, the darkness hates the light, error hates truth. But the light never shines out in the world if it just stays, remained hidden behind these walls. Okay, verse 13, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in all, or you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And here it is, guys. Verse sixteen: All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You made it, guys. That's it, Karen. If uh, we're going to go ahead and make our way to close to a close, Karen, if you would. All Scripture. Um. So pertaining to the questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, they're best answered and most logically consistent with our biblical worldview. So let's go ahead and bow our heads. I would say that if you don't know the way, the truth, and the life, I would encourage you to seek Him because you need Him. You need Him to cancel your sin debt and to give you a new heart, I mean, you didn't get to choose the times you were born in. You didn't even get to choose your parents. But now in this moment, God's given you an opportunity to be born again. And if that's you today, you can just show me who you are by raising your hand. If I see it, you can put your hand back down. But, I mean, hopefully we all know the truth. And that's why you came seeking more of the truth. All right. Well, then, let's, everybody, go ahead and stand up, and, uh, (laughs) I mean, I got through it, you got through it, we got through it together, but the truth, hopefully, was glorified. People, were we're to lean into the Word of God daily with the study of the Scriptures, We want to build up that biblical worldview and teach it to our children. And guys, we're to rescue those around us that are drowning in their sins and absorbed in the fake news and numbing narratives that are out there. So devil business is in full swing, and we don't need to be comforting those that are perishing and on their way to hell. Evangelism is just a conversation away, so get involved and speak up. We've we've got the truth on our side, man. What better foundation to stand on? So let's go ahead and pray. Well, God, I pray that you've inspired us to do your work in evangelism, shining your truth and leading leading, uh, people to life and liberty that's found only through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So if you have any need for prayer, that's why all these uh, ladies and gentlemen have uh, showed up down here on the front. And I wanna thank you for... I want to thank jeff for this opportunity i mean was, i was a lot of work man you got to thank your pastor because getting a chance to do this you get to understand like there's a huge weight and responsibility that comes with this pulpit it's not it's not meant for readers digest uh commentary um especially when you love the truth um so pray for your pastor pray for this uh pray for this ministry because we represent only six percent and that's a shock i mean um So wherever you are in your community, go let your light shine today. Have a great day. Go Chiefs.